Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 2. And I think tonight the Lord has a very important message for us, especially as we get close to Easter. You know, we were, I was actually talking with Pastor Chet and some of the other staff, and he brought up a really good point. That oftentimes around Easter and typically Christmas, but in this case Easter, have you ever noticed that a bunch of people who don't go to church all of a sudden come to church? <laughs> and really, and I think he's right, and he said that that's just the Spirit of God moving. That somehow the Lord is getting these people to our church so we could preach the gospel to them. And so for those of us who are here tonight, those of us who love Jesus, we have an opportunity to minister to these people. And so I think it's a good idea for us to remember how to do ministry the way that God does ministry. And so we're going to be looking at the life of Moses. I'm going to be going through Exodus chapter 2, 3, and 4. Don't worry, I'm not going to read all of it. Uh, That would take far too much time, but I'm going to be kind of breaking it up into chunks, and then we're going to cover the life of Moses. And so for those of you who don't know who Moses is, I'll give you a little bit of background before I start digging into chapter 2. Around this time, the children of Israel were growing. So much so that Pharaoh eventually issues a decree, hey, you know what, there's just far too many people, and so here's the deal. If there are any Hebrews and they give birth to males, I want you to kill the male children. Now, thankfully, the midwives did not obey that decree, and in fact, what happens is, is one of these Hebrew women who gives birth to a child, they hide it for about three months, and when they could no longer hide it anymore... They stuck this child in a basket, and they sent him down the river. Interestingly enough, this Hebrew child ends up being found by Pharaoh's daughter. And not only was he found by Pharaoh's daughter, but then he was raised as a prince of Egypt, and he was actually then nursed by his own mom still. So if there was ever a person who God had a plan for their life, Moses was it. Because, I mean, by every shape of the imagination, he should be dead. And yet he was not, and just, in a, I mean, just to put the icing on the cake, he was even raised by his own mom for a stint. And so God clearly has this incredible purpose for this child, Moses, who was actually raised in Pharaoh's own house right under his nose. And so with that, let's start in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be picking up, wait a second. Going to be picking up in verse 11. Now, one day when Moses had grown up, so by this point he's about 40 years old. So he's not really a young guy, he's not really an old guy, but clearly a lot of time has passed. He's no longer just that little child growing up in Pharaoh's household. But he had grown up and he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Now, a few things that we need to understand about Moses. First of all, as I already said, he was a prince of Egypt. 
So he was somebody who had power and position. On top of that, he was well-spoken. He was very well-educated. More than likely, he, booth, he knew both Hebrew and Egyptian. So clearly, he was a real dummy. And then on top of that, he was a mighty warrior. So he was somebody who was well-versed in battle. He was somebody who could definitely hold his own. He could fight well. And so he was a military commander on top of that. And then just to, just to add one more thing into the mix, Josephus record, the historian Josephus records that he was also handsome. So pretty much he had everything going on, right? I mean, he had wealth, he had power, he had position, he could fight, he was good looking. I mean, he was like the full package, right? And here he is, he sees that one of his people, a Hebrew, is being struck by an Egyptian. Now, at this point, Acts chapter 7, not only does it record that he's 40 40 years old at this point, also records that at this time in his life, he knew what God's calling was on his life. He knew that God had called him to be the deliverer the one to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. He knew that was his calling. And so he sees this occurring. And so then he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He says, you know what, I'm not going to tolerate this. He says, I'm going to deliver this person right now. And so he strikes down this Egyptian, he murders him, and hides him into the sand. Now, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? So, at this point, he's thinking like, yeah, I'm the deliverer. I'm supposed to be the one that's helping my people. And so he sees two of them quarreling and fighting together, and he says, hey, guys, wait, 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 what's, what's, the, what's the deal? Why, why are you striking your fellow brother? But notice his response. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Now, I don't know about you. If I was Moses, I'd be really confused by this response. I mean, I I would be thinking, like, they should see me as a hero. I struck down the Egyptian who was beating one of them. Like, I I mean, to me, it would be like, they should see that I'm actually here for their good. And yet, he goes, who do you think you are? (laughs) Like, that's his response. When Moses heard this, he was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. So he realized he had been found out. What he thought he got away with, what he thought he he hid really well, was found out. They knew. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, for those of you who don't know, Midian is basically just a desert. Like, could you imagine going from Egypt, which is basically like an oasis, with the Nile and all this incredible fruit and produce and all these wonderful things, to a desert? And yet that's exactly what happened to him. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flocks. So we still see that Moses has this uh, propensity within him to defend those who are being taken advantage of. He's a defender of, of the weak and the downcast. So clearly this is something that God has placed in him. He recognized that this is a part of who he is. And so he saves these women. And just so you know, shepherds, oftentimes we tend to think of people that you know, we're just kind of like all these kind of weak old guys out in the field with a couple of sheep. Like, oftentimes, these were people who could fight. 
Like, these were pretty rough and tumble guys. I mean, they were typically defending sheep from bears, lions, like big predators. So these are not just kind of some people to scoff at. These actually, these guys could very much be a problem if they wanted to be. And so he drove them off. He stood up and he saved them. He watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? He said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and, the, and watered the flock. And he said to the daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Like, could you imagine like this, this poor dad, like his, his daughters come back. It's like, oh, hey, you got back soon. What happened? Oh, well, this guy, you know, drove off some shepherds. He helped us out. He watered our flock. And then he's just like, and you just left him there? <laughs> like, why don't you go get him? Bring him back here. I want to meet this guy. And then Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and he gave birth, or she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So at this point, could you imagine how Moses is feeling? Moses, thinking he's been called to be this deliverer of his people, he's like, I've got it all going on. I'm a great fighter. I'm smart. I'm well respected by the people. I'm a prince of Egypt. And now, all of a sudden, he's having to come to grips with the fact that he has blown it. That he has wasted this opportunity, at least in his mind. And not only that, what we then find out at the beginning of chapter 3 is that Moses was keeping the flock of his father, Jethro. So he eventually just becomes a shepherd. So he goes from prince to shepherd. And Acts 7, once again, records for us that another 40 years goes by. So he goes from being this 40-year-old somebody who's got it all going on to this 80-year-old exiled nobody who tends sheep. Could you imagine how much of a failure Moses must have felt like in this moment? He's probably thinking, I had my one chance and I blew it. He's like, I, I, I trusted in my gifting, I trusted in my experience, I trusted in all of my ability, and I blew it. And so now I just... Ten sheep in this foreign land. I don't even live in Egypt anymore. I'm not a prince anymore. I'm not a mighty warrior. Heck, at 80 years old, he's probably thinking, like, I'm not really all that handsome. At least it's not as much as I used to be. I mean, he must have felt like he had completely blown his one opportunity to be used by the Lord. Now, clearly what we see is that Moses was not yet ready to live out his purpose. And we're going to see why here in a second. Moses had to learn something before he could lead the children of Israel out. And so it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And what we then go on to read is that he engages with the Lord here. He takes off his sandals. He meets with the Lord through this burning bush. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, fire is oftentimes associated with the presence of God. So he's meeting with the Lord here. The Lord meets him 40 years later. And then they begin to have a conversation. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, they said, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of the land to do good, 
to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this must have kind of come as a shock to Moses at this point, right? He's probably thinking, like, after 40 years, oh, there's no redemption for me. There's, I've blown it. This is over. I'm just going to live out my days as a shepherd, and I'm going to die as a shepherd. And then the Lord meets him 40 years later and says, now you're ready. What's changed? What is so different about Moses now from Moses then? And what's rather interesting is it seems like Moses from 40 years ago was far more capable, wasn't he? I mean, this intelligent bilingual man in a position of power to this nobody who's probably forgotten everything but Hebrew, (laughs) who now tends sheep, who lives in obscurity, who's, who's married to this priest's daughter and just basically tends sheep. That's what he does with his day. And God goes, now you're ready. Now I want to use you. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? See, notice something has changed in Moses' demeanor here. Before, he was haughty, he was headstrong, he was confident. He's like, this is my calling. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to deliver you know, my people from the hands of the Egyptians. This is what the, the calling that God has placed on my life. Now, there's nothing wrong with understanding what our calling is. I don't want you to get that impression. But he was proud. He trusted in his giftings. He trusted in his abilities. He wasn't trusting in the Lord. He was simply trusting in what he could or could not do. Now, what's rather interesting is that we're going to find that Moses has a similar problem here, but in a different way. See, he went from being confident and sturdy to meek, timid. Lord, who am I? Lord, I'm just an 80-year-old failure. You want to use me? You you want to use me to deliver the children of Israel? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, I think... Most of us at this point are thinking like, well, that should be enough to convince them, right? Oh, God's going to be with you. Like the full force of the one who created the universe is backing you. I don't care how powerful Pharaoh is. He isn't that powerful. He can't just make things from nothing. And God's saying, I'm here. I got your back. Like as far as I'm concerned, that fight's over before it starts, right? Okay, God of the universe, puny little Pharaoh. (laughs) Like, And then Moses said to God, But if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So, once again, Moses is now raising yet another objection. He's like, Well, who am I to do this? Okay, well, if I go, what am I supposed to say? And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, this name that he gives himself is such a wonderful name. 
Because in saying that he's I am, he's saying like, I'm the all-sufficient one. I have existed past, present, future. You could not plunge the depths of my power, my wisdom. He says, I am completely sufficient in and of myself. I need nothing else to exist. He says, I am everything that you need and will ever need. He is, I am the self-sufficient one. That's one of the wonderful things about the names of God is they oftentimes reveal little bits about who he is. And in this case, he's telling Moses, I'm everything that you need. And so they begin to dialogue a bit more. The Lord continues to speak to him. And then eventually God says, so I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt with all wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go and I will give his people favor or give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. They're not just simply going to escape by like the, you know, the hairs on their chin. They're going to completely plunder the Egyptians. I mean, they're going to walk away wealthy from this experience. Do you realize the the magnitude of the promise that God is giving Moses right now? He's saying, not only are you going to have victory, you're going to have decisive victory, and not just decisive victory, you're going to walk away better off from this. But then once again, what happens to Moses? Well, then Moses answered, but behold... They will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So now he's once again raising an objection. You realize what's kind of going on? See, Moses is kind of having the same problem that he had before, but just in a different way. Before, he was confident in his giftings and his abilities and his talents. He thinks, I can do this. Now he's thinking about it from the standpoint still of his giftings and talents and abilities. He's going, I can't do this. I'm not capable of this. I'm not smart enough for this. I don't have the right words. I don't have the power. What if they don't believe me? He's just raising objections. God, you, you can't use me. Who, who am I to be doing this mission for you? And so the Lord gives him a couple of signs. Remember, he makes him throw down his rod. What does it turn into? It turns into a snake. Then he picks it back up. What happens? It turns back into a staff. Then he tells him to stick his hand in his cloak. He sticks his hand in his cloak. He pulls it out. What happens again? This time his hand is withered. Then the Lord tells him to put it back in. Pulls it back out, it's completely healed. And then after all that, he tells him to take some water from the Nile and to throw it down on the ground and it'd be blood. He gives him all these incredible signs, things that these people would not be able to explain. All this incredible power. He says, that's going to be with you too. And now Moses says, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either. In the past... Or since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Lord, I'm not really a gifted speaker. I'm, I speak rather slowly. You know, he's probably thinking like, Lord, I've got a stutter. How are you going to be using me as your spokesperson? Why don't you get the guy who's more eloquent than I am? And then I love the Lord's response to this. I don't know about you, it just it seems like there's a little bit of sarcasm here. <laughs> and the Lord said to him, Moses, who do you think made your mouth? <laughs> like, like, have you forgotten who gave you that mouth? Who made that tongue of yours? 
who made you slow of speech? If you had a stutter, like, Moses, you know who gave you that stutter, right? (laughs) And then he goes on to say, who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? He's like, Moses, if, if any of those things have occurred, I know about it. It actually came from me. (laughs) And he's telling, and and now you're telling me that your mouth doesn't work all that great. Moses, I could overcome your mouth, no problem. Now, therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And now we finally get to the heart of the issue. See, Moses up until this point has just been making excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse of why God cannot use him. And finally, he's just out with it. But he said, speaking of Moses, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Okay, I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. God, just send anybody else, literally anyone but me. Heck, raise up this rock and send them. Like, I I don't want to go. I can't do this. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have the right abilities. I don't have the right talents. I don't know if you've seen me. It's like, um, I'm not the young 40-something I used to be. Now, rightfully so, it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I think at this point... I would probably be a little upset with Moses too. It's like, dude, I've knocked down every last one of your arguments, every objection you've raised, I've answered it. But thankfully, the Lord is still gracious with Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart, and you shall speak to him. And put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. He says, fine, Moses, I'm still going to send you. You're still going to go. That's not up for discussion, but I'll give you Aaron, because I still want to do this with you. You're still the deliverer. You're still called to this ministry. And you may not think yourself capable. You may not think yourself elegant. But I've called you to it. And I will be with you. And I will put the words in your mouth. And I will give you the power to do everything that you need to be able to do so my people walk free from the Egyptians. Now, as the rest of the story goes, that's exactly what happens, right? Moses and Aaron both go. And after quite a long period of time, what we see is that there's all kinds of plagues and dialogue back and forth between Moses and Aaron and between Pharaoh and his advisors. And eventually, the children of Israel, what happens? They do go free. They do plunder the Egyptians. They do eventually go to what is now known as the land of Israel, to the promised land. And so God does everything that he calls him to do. He is exactly what God has called him to be. And I think oftentimes... When God calls us to do something, we can be just like Moses. I think sometimes we're really hard on Moses, not realizing that we're pretty much just like him a lot of the time. And we tend to fall into one of two categories. We either trust in our flesh, 
We trust in our giftings, we trust in our talents, we trust in our abilities, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with our giftings, our talents, our abilities, things that God has made us to be, but we so trust in those things that we walk into a situation proud, arrogant, and say, I got this, God, I don't need your help. I can do this. Or we're the older Moses, and we look at our giftings and our talents and our abilities, and we say, God, I can't do this, send somebody else. I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough. I'm not a good enough speaker. I don't have enough wisdom. I'm not strong enough. I can't bear this weight. Send someone else. Now, over all this time, what Moses had to learn before God could use him as a deliverer is he had to learn humility. And there's a danger because I think we can fall into one of those two camps. We either trust in our gifts and we do things in the flesh Or we still look at our gifts, but we say, God, I can't do this. And so either way, we're still trusting in the flesh. It's just one leads us to be proud and arrogant and try to do things when we can't do them. Or we look at the situation and go, I can't do this because of A, B, C, and D. And what Moses needed to learn is to trust God. He needed to learn that God was sufficient. He needed to learn to trust in the gift giver, not the gifts. See, there's nothing wrong with having a calling. Moses actually got that part right. He knew what God had called him to do. He knew that he was supposed to be a deliverer. He knew he was supposed to lead the children of Israel out. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to have giftings, talents, abilities. In fact, oftentimes God gives those things to us for a purpose. But there is a danger when we trust in those giftings, those talents, and abilities, and we let that determine what God can and cannot do. And that was exactly Moses' problem. That was Moses' problem when he was 40. That was Moses' problem when he was 80, just two different sides of the same coin. He said, God, I can because A, B, C, and D. Or God, I can't because of A, B, C, and D. Never once did he consider, God, I can, but I need to trust you. God, I can't, but you can. See, God wanted to use him in that weakness. And in fact, I think God purposely waited till he was older, to where he was weaker, to where he was without power, to where he was not so eloquent, to where he probably wasn't quite as gifted at fighting so that he could send him out. And then you know what happened? When we read through the book of Exodus, we never really once look at Moses and go, wow, what an incredible guy. Most of the time we look at him and go like, wow, God did something incredible through this man. And that's exactly why God waited. See, Moses needed to trust in the power of God because if he had done it when he was 40 years old, you know what would have happened? He would have gotten all the glory, all the credit for that. He would have been like, well, duh. I mean, I'm this fantastic military strategist. I'm smart. I'm eloquent. I'm a handsome guy. Like, he would have just been like, like, clearly this was my doing. But what happened, because he was 80-year-old Moses instead, was look at what God did. Look at how God delivered the children of Israel. Look at what God did through Moses. See, God got the glory for that. And I think for us, there's a tendency to trust in our flesh, and we tell God, I can do these things because maybe I'm smart. Maybe I'm intelligent. Maybe I'm a gifted speaker. Whatever it is, we can say, God, I can do these things, but I can't do that because I'm not really good at those things. Do you realize that oftentimes God wants to call us to do things we're not good at because precisely for the same reason? that he would actually get the glory for it. 
And in fact, Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians. You don't necessarily have to uh, turn there. But notice what he says here. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jesus demands signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but those who are called, both Jews and, Gentiles, or Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he says this, For consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are and are or things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you were in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God uses the wise, or God uses the foolish because it, what, confounds the wise. God uses the weak to, what, confound the strong. You guys remember David, right? You know that during that time, David was probably about 14 when he killed Goliath? He was a kid, killed this towering man who it says his spear was like a cedar beam. And David walks out there in the power of God, just out, done, one shot, it's over. That wasn't David, that was God. And you know what happened? People glorified God. It's the same thing with Moses. God used Moses in his weakened state. So God would get the glory. People would look at that and go, there's only one explanation for how that happened. And it wasn't because Moses was necessarily anything special in and of himself. God worked through him. God did the work. God was the power behind him. See, we have to be careful because we can be like Moses. We can make all these excuses. Not recognizing that just like Moses, he's given us promises. I mean, countless times. How many times did Moses get a promise from the Lord? Hey, I'm going to lead you out. I'm going to do this thing through you. I will be with you. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. Like he just give, kept giving him promise after promise after promise, saying, I'm going to do all these incredible things. All you've got to do is trust me. He gave him his name. He, well, who should I say sent me? Say, I am sent you. The all-sufficient one. The one who has existed past, present, and future. That's who's sending you, Moses. That's who's backing you, Moses. Well, Lord, I'm not all that eloquent. Moses, I made your mouth. I could just make words come out of it if I wanted to. See, we can be just like Moses and make all these excuses, not realizing that God has given us so many promises throughout the Bible, promises that he'll use us, promises that he'll be with us, promises that he will help us. You realize he's, he actually said he's given us the Holy Spirit to do ministry. He's actually given us his power. He said, I'm filling you with the Holy Spirit so you can go and do what? Be witnesses. 
God has called us to do things his way, but here's the problem is we have to learn humility. And what we see here with Moses, humility is not simply just self-deprecating. It's not just simply going, oh, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just a terrible person. Like, God can't use me. See, Moses swung too far the other way in that needle. See, humility is all about not necessarily thinking less of ourselves, but just simply thinking of ourselves less. It's not trusting in our giftings and talents, but trusting in God. And trusting that if he's given us giftings and talents, that he's going to use those things. But we still don't trust in those things. See, there's something wonderful that happens when we actually begin to embrace weakness in the Christian life. See, in the world we live in, what's exalted? It's strength. It's, it's wisdom. It's power. It's position. It's all of these things. And have you ever noticed all throughout the scriptures, like God's economy is completely flipped the other way? That oftentimes God uses the weak. He uses the foolish. He uses the people that are nobodies, who are exiles and outcasts. I mean, once again, just, let's just frame this really quick. I'm going to give you the side-by-side of pre-exile Moses and post-exile Moses. Pre-exile Moses, he was a prince of Egypt. He was well-spoken, he was educated, he was a mighty warrior, he was handsome, he was headstrong, confident, he lived in splendor, he lived in Egypt, which, is, which was an oasis, he was well-accomplished, he was a somebody, he was as, probably about as strong as you could probably make somebody. And then he gets exiled to Midian. And then Moses is no-name shepherd, he wasn't very eloquent, tended sheep, he's 40 years older. Probably not as handsome as he once was. He was timid. He was meek. I mean, he lived in a desert. He was a failure. He was a nobody. And God goes, that's the guy I want. I want that guy. See, Paul had it right when he wrote later in 2 Corinthians that God's power is made perfect in weakness. That's why Paul said, I'm going to boast in my infirmities and my weaknesses, all the things that I'm not good at. Those are the things that I'm going to boast in because what's going to happen is is God's going to use me. See, we need to embrace weakness. And this is one of those things that I've been having to learn lately. For those of you who who don't know, recently my wife and I, we just adopted a two-year-old from South Korea. And it has been, honestly, the hardest thing I've probably ever had to do. I mean, the first thing I told my wife was like, man, every mom needs a raise, okay? Like, this is, this is the most difficult thing I have ever had to do. I mean, I've actually said, like, going to work, it, I mean, that's like, that's, it's a break. And I mean that sincerely. It's like, going to work is actually a break. This is so much easier, going to work, than taking care of a two-year-old. And what has happened is, is now I'm looking back on my life, and I'm going, 20-year-old Brandon was like, Psh, I can conquer the world. Like, I, I, can, I can do anything. 30-year-old Brandon is like, I don't even think I can conquer a two-year-old. Like, I'm pretty sure this 30-pound ball of screaming is probably going to defeat me. Like, I'm not going to make it to 31 at this rate. But God's been doing something in that. He's been fostering reliance on him. Because in this, I'm going, God, I can't do this. I don't think I have what it takes. I'm not going to make it. God, I don't have the necessary patience, the necessary grace, the necessary mercy to do this. God, if there's any way this is going to happen, you've got to do it. You've got to show up. And there's a wonderful, wonderful thing about just simply embracing that weakness and saying, God, help. And that really is the way of ministry. 
Can I just level something here? Ministry is not working at a church. If you're a Christian, you're called to ministry. What did he say? What did, what did the Lord say? Go out and be my witnesses. And he didn't say pastors go be witnesses. He didn't say missionaries go be witnesses. He said, you guys, witnesses, believers, we're called to ministry. Now, your calling might look different than mine. Just like Moses had a different calling than other people in the Bible. Not everybody was called to be a deliverer, but Moses was. But either way, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to do ministry. That could be, I mean, heck, ministry could be taking care of your family. That could be raising a two-year-old, raising them up in the Lord, discipling them. See, we need to embrace that weakness. Say, God, I I need help. We need to have the humility to say, God, I I need you to show up. I need you to show up in power because if you don't, this is not going to work out. But you know what happens? is that in that we also get access to everything that Moses, talked, that Moses was told. God also promises, hey, I'm going to be with you. Hey, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. Hey, you can do this with my help. I could be there for you. I got this. If you don't got it, I got it. If you're insufficient, I'm sufficient. If you feel helpless, I'll be your help. If you feel like you don't have strength, I'll be your strength. And so there's a wonderful thing that happens when we embrace weakness, when we trust in the Lord and we simply have faith that God is everything that he claims to be. And that's where Moses had to get. And that's where we have to get. Now, granted, like that's going to happen over the course of our lives. That's not like something we just arrive one day and we're like, oh, I've got perfect faith. Oh, I just absolutely trust God. Can I tell you, as somebody who grew up in church, who's now 30 years old, has basically been following Jesus for his entire life, I still struggle with trusting God. I still struggle with that. Some things are easier than others, but I still struggle. And so that's something that we grow in. We grow in that faith, but we need to trust him. And that comes through humility, saying, God, I'm not sufficient. Would you be sufficient? And that's when God used Moses, when he finally realized that he wasn't enough to do what God had called him to do. And that's the way that ministry happens. Because we want people to see God. We want people to see Jesus. We don't want people necessarily looking at us and making much of us and saying, look at how great that person is. Because at the end of the day, that doesn't help anybody. What helps is when people come to know Jesus. What helps is when they look at God and they glorify him and say, wow, look at the amazing things God has done. If if God could do that through that person, he could do something through me. If God could use this failure of a man, Moses, I mean, think about this. We're being ministered to right now by his life because of what God did through him. God could do the same thing with us. But we have to embrace that weakness. And there's nothing wrong with weakness. We've already seen God uses the weak. He uses the foolish. He uses the people that are nobodies to make much of himself, to bring people to him, that people would come to know Jesus, to know Christ. But we have to have faith. We have to trust him. We have to do things God's way. Not just simply trusting in our giftings and our talents and abilities, but trusting in who God is. And so we deliver all those giftings, all those talents, all those things that God has made us into. And we say, God, this is all yours anyways. I'm trusting you with it. How do you want to do this? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then we trust if we don't have a gifting or a talent that we might need, that God's going to give it to us. I think sometimes we think about spiritual gifts almost like they're final, right? Like we, we look at it and we go, 
okay, well, these are the things that I am and these are the things that I'm not and this is just the way that it's always going to be. Do you realize that God could give you more giftings and abilities? That you could just stink at something one day and God could go, yeah, actually, I'm going to give that to you. You need this for this season. You know, he could also do the opposite, that sometimes he could just take away a gifting or a talent or ability and say, yeah, you don't really need this anymore. This isn't where I have you. I mean, just as Job said, God can give and God can take away, right? And so we need to trust God. That's really what happened here with Moses' life. He needed to learn to actually trust in the gift giver, not the gifts. He needed to actually seek God's help. God, what do you want to do in this situation? How do you want me to go about doing this? If you've called me to be the deliverer, then how do you want to play this? That's a hard thing to do. I confess, even as a pastor, it's still really easy to go like, to sit down, to start prepping a Bible study. I'm popping open commentaries and looking online and looking for articles and doing all this stuff. And before I realize it, I've spent three hours and I haven't even prayed and asked God what he wants to do. And yet we're all guilty of doing that same thing, aren't we? Sometimes we just jump headlong into something and we realize like, I didn't even really pray about this. God, what do you want to do in this situation? So we need to seek him. And so with that in mind tonight, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Is the heart of our Pastor Chet and Pastor Jeff, as well as our leadership and myself, that we spend some time praying for Easter. That we do things God's way. That we're not simply just trusting in a system. That we're not just trusting that, okay, well, we've done this every year. And this is the way that it's going to go, and this is the way that it's going to look. But we want to seek God together. And so we're going to spend some time in prayer. And so I'm going to pray. And then what we're going to do is we're going to break up into groups of about four or five people, and we're all going to pray together. Sound good? So, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you go before us. Lord, thank you for the life of Moses. Lord, thank you that we can look at him and we can just marvel and just say, God, look at the wonderful things that you've done. Lord, thank you that you desire to give us that same power, Lord, that we have that same backing, that we still have the I am helping us and assisting us and guiding us, directing us, giving us wisdom, giving us power, giving us strength, Lord, being completely sufficient when we are insufficient. And so, Lord, we ask that now as we seek you, Lord, as we pray over Easter, Lord, as we ask that people would come to know you, Lord, as we ask that you would use this time where so many who don't normally come to church come to church, Lord, we ask that you would save many. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would place on our hearts, Lord, those things that you would have us ask for. Lord, would you even pray for us? Lord, would you strike our hearts and our minds with what you would have done this Easter? Lord, would your spirit speak to us as we pray? Lord, that we would place ourselves right in the center of your will. Lord, right in the center of the way that you would want to do things. And then, Lord, would we trust in your promises? Lord, would we trust that you're going to show up? Lord, that we would trust that you're going to provide the harvest. Lord, thank you for, for what Paul said. He said, Lord, I'm nothing. Apollos is nothing. But it's you who gives the increase. Lord, you're the one who does ministry, not us. Lord, you are the power that saves, not us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would show up tonight. Lord, that as we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, and Lord, that we would just see great and wonderful things at Easter as you move and work in the hearts and minds of people that come. So, Lord, we love you. We give this time to you and ask that you would guide us as we pray together. 
And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.